Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of It's Not What's Wrong With You, our sanctuary podcast. Mm-hmm. I am Jessica Brimhall. And I'm Melissa Case. And today we are going to be talking about vicarious trauma and self-care plans. Yep. Um, and... First, we're going to start off with our community meeting. Yes, we are. Thank you, Jessica. <laughs> no I almost problem. forgot that. <laughs> um, so, Jessica, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling motivated. Okay, and what is your goal for our podcast? My goal is to just learn a little bit more about vicarious trauma and how we can recognize those symptoms in ourselves. And who can you ask for support? I will ask you for support. I will help you. Melissa, how are you feeling today? I am feeling um, dedicated. Okay, and what is your goal for the podcast? To share some good examples of what our staff and clients can do for self-care. Okay, great. And who can you ask for support? Jessica, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you for support. Apparently, I cannot speak to you. <laughs> I will help you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so vicarious trauma. Jessica, can you um, give us the definition of that? Yes. Um, so vicarious trauma is a type of parallel process, which we're going to learn a little bit more about later today. Absolutely. Um, and it's when someone who works with or cares for a traumatized person might experience similar symptoms, even though they have not been directly exposed to the trauma. Mm-hmm. So just listening to the the person's stories, you start to take on those symptoms for yourself. Absolutely. That um, transfer of feelings Mm -hmm. um, that Sanctuary talks about and that everyone else will learn more about as we continue this and listen to the segment on parallel process today. Um, Vicarious trauma, I feel, is more known as burnout. Mm -hmm. It's a more commonly used term. Uh, Also, compassion fatigue and secondary trauma are some other terms that mean the same thing, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, so Jessica, can you tell us uh, a little bit about the symptoms of a vicarious trauma? Yes. So some of the things you might look for in yourself, um, would be feeling like you have no time and no energy. You feel disconnected, whether it's from other people or your job or Mm -hmm. your responsibilities. Um, you also have social withdrawal, um, a sense a sensitivity to violence, um, cynicism, just a feeling of despair or hopelessness. Um, those are all things that you might kind of feel in yourself. I feel like maybe the most common one I've heard of is just feeling like you have no energy and just mm-hmm. feeling like you really like have no more to give. Right. Like you, absolutely. You kind of stop not caring. You stop caring. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're done. Like I, I've reached my, the end of my rope. Yeah. I'm, I'm completely done. Yeah. And it is different. So it can look a little different too, depending on your role. So mm-hmm. as a staff member, maybe now you're missing deadlines mm-hmm. and you're not attending team meetings and you're not seeking out support from yeah. your supervisor. Um, as a foster parent, or I mean, even just a parent in general, but a foster parent maybe not wanting to attend um, CFTs mm-hmm. or you know, really try to go above and beyond. When you get to the point where you're just so frustrated and overwhelmed and it's just survival mode Mm -hmm. and you don't really have anything more to give yeah absolutely and even for I mean our foster parents are therapists who are hearing the trauma over and over again and um that's really their job yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. day to day and so making sure that you can hear it and empathize with your clients but not take it on as your own Mm -hmm. um and overwhelm yourself and take on those feelings you need to be able to process them mm-hmm. and keep a boundary. Keep right. that keep that um, professionalism there so that you don't get burnt out. Mm-hmm. You don't experience vicarious trauma. And we did talk about, too, how there can be 
kind of good and bad aspects to Mm -hmm. vicarious trauma. So it doesn't all have to be negative. Um, We all kind of get into this field because we like helping people Mm -hmm. and we want to help people. So helping people kind of work through their trauma and hearing those stories also gives us kind of a sense of job satisfaction and like we're doing Mm -hmm. something good. Um, Why the heck are we all doing it? (laughs) Right, exactly. So there can be positive, even though we tend to kind of focus on the burnout aspect Mm -hmm. and those negative Right. We, we put ourselves out there and, and risk this exposure, um, and risk the chance of experiencing burnout because for a greater, Mm -hmm. a greater cause, a greater purpose. Definitely. Um, and so what, Jessica, what are some of the risk factors? Um, so risk factors would be a past history of trauma yourself, um, being overworked, poor respect for boundaries, which you kind of already mentioned, but I think that is a really big one, Mm -hmm. really getting too involved in people's lives, too involved in their stories, and not remaining that professional where you can kind of turn it off. Right. I mean, really, this kind of crosses over into, I'm going to throw another term out here, the reenactment triangle, Mm -hmm. playing that that rescuer role, trying to jump in and save your client rather than help them, um, you know, empower them to, to help themselves. Yeah. Um, possibly being less experienced in the field. I think this is big. I think it takes some time, even for new foster parents. Um, it takes some time to learn how to keep those boundaries. Mm -hmm. When you start out, you're kind of so hopeful and, and out to change the world. And, and I think you do want to save people to a certain extent, especially Mm -hmm. if you're dealing with children. Right. And not understanding how to keep some of that that boundary Mm -hmm. up you cross the lines a little bit more when you're inexperienced and learning not to take things so personally Mm -hmm. absolutely um and then being exposed too much um also having too many negative clinical outcomes so this could be across all of our programs just not seeing the outcomes that you're hoping for absolutely and again i think that can be a boundary issue getting too invested in your client Mm -hmm. and so when things don't go the way that you hope for Again, you can kind of take that personally, mm-hmm. and it can really just hit you hard. Absolutely. I mean, especially if you've spent a lot of time working with the family, and you finally, you feel that they're in a good spot, and they're going to be successful, and then something happens. Mm-hmm. Life happens, um, and it doesn't go as planned. Right. And if that happens enough, and you're not prepared, or you have unrealistic expectations of what's going to happen, I feel like burnout happens so much more. Yeah. And again, that happens a lot more when you're maybe newer, Mm -hmm. when you haven't experienced that yet. For sure, yeah. So we do have, our sanctuary training does give us a Hollywood example of this, of vicarious trauma. Um, If you haven't watched it in a while. It's from Melissa's (laughs) favorite movie. Let's just start off by saying. We are going to talk about (laughs) E.T. Hopefully you've seen it. But if not, E.T., the alien living with Elliot, the, the young boy who's caring for him, uh, so E.T. is, they have, they have this psychic connection, mm-hmm. E.T. and Elliot. Elliot is at school. E.T. is at home um, drinking. And as he's drinking, he kind of like stumbles through and bumps into the wall. Kind of like drunken behavior. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm, burps. And so Elliot is doing the same thing in class. Mm-hmm. Elliot burps. Elliot falls down. And so it's because of this psychic connection that Elliot has taken on E.T.'s feelings Mm -hmm. and behaviors that we're kind of seeing that vicarious trauma the same kind of thing happens with vicarious trauma not literally i am not saying if you take on your clients feelings you will be bumping into walls if they do the same but it is a hollywood example to kind of show 
that that parallel process mm-hmm. when one thing's happening to et it's happening to elliot as well because of the connection they mm-hmm. have and that's essentially vicarious trauma yep. in our nice hollywood right. version <laughs> of et um so like jessica mentioned at the beginning something to help combat vicarious trauma is uh self-care using self-care So we have all of our staff create a self-care plan. We review it during supervision. We encourage all of our clients to to create a self-care plan as well. Um, The plan that we create, that Sanctuary helps us, guide us to, does have different domains Mm -hmm. of self-care. So it's not just a general create a self-care plan. Um, Jessica, you want to let us tell us what the domains are? Yeah. So the domains that we've broken our self-care plan into are physical, psychological, social, societal, professional, and moral. And so the goal here is to kind of come up with activities that we can do for Mm self-care in each of these domains. Although you don't have to do all the domains, if some of them don't apply to you or some of them wouldn't be helpful to you, it's not like a requirement. Mm -hmm. Um, But you'd go through, so like for the physical domain, you might talk about exercising or just going for a walk or something that can kind of recharge you physically. And something that you're actually going to do. Yes. Like if I put exercise on there, I'm never, never going to do it. Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But maybe going for a walk, you know, that is something that I can do, that I will do. Um, But let's say I put it on there and in a month from now, I still haven't gone for a walk at all whatsoever because it's hot as can be outside (laughs) and that does not sound pleasant. Then it's some, I need to change it. Mm -hmm. If there's stuff on your self-care plan that you aren't using, there's no point in it being there. Right. This needs to be something that is a useful tool for you, not something you filled out just to say that you have one. It really is like a living, breathing document that should be updated, should be used, should be reviewed. And it really is to help you get that time to yourself, to regenerate yourself, Mm -hmm. to take a break, even if it's just for a moment, even if it's just for a 15 minute walk, it doesn't have to be like, go on a vacation. Right. Well, that is nice. And sometimes (laughs) that is needed. That doesn't necessarily have to be a part. You, you need some, some sort of regular Mm self-care that you're practicing in order to help combat things like vicarious trauma. And so we have, um, asked some of our staff to share with you, some of the things they do for self-care regularly. So let's hear from them. My name is Jennifer Troche and I am the executive assistant. And one thing I'm doing for self-care is drinking water because I just moved here. I'm Christiana, I'm in the equine trauma therapy program and one thing I do for self-care is swimming. My name's Nicole Beyer and I'm a family support supervisor and I work out all the time for self-care. Uh, My name is Courtney. I am a program manager and I read for self-care. Hi, my name is Charles. I am a supervised visitation aide and for self-care, I like to go clothes shopping. My name is Kelly Babcock-Smith and I'm with the accounting. And one thing I like to do for self-care is clean. (laughs) My name is Ethan Gangala. I'm with the foster and adopt um, department. And one thing I do for self-care is I take my dog out for a walk every night. All right, so you just heard from some of our staff um, telling you what they like to do to practice Mm -hmm. self-care. We would encourage everyone to create a self-care plan of your own, um, just so you make sure that you are regularly practicing that Mm self-care. And if you want to use our form, contact us or your staff member Mm -hmm. from Hope Community Services, and we can send you that form. um, So you have at least a template to use if you want to. 
Yeah, and so up next, you're going to hear our Sanctuary and the Seven Commitments um, segment. And then after that, we have a new segment for you. Um, mm-hmm. Like we mentioned earlier, you'll be learning about the parallel process, and that is hosted by Charles. Mm-hmm. Hi ho, hi ho, the Seven Commitments are a go. Hi ho. So welcome back to Sanctuary and the Seven Commitments. Today we have um, a community guest. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Andrew. Hi, Andrew. So today we're actually going to be focusing on the Bizarro World commitments instead of the Seven Commitments. Um, And we're going to be focusing on the ever popular Mean Girls. Uh, I'm going to kind of give a rundown of what we're talking about. And then we can kind of chime in and go from there. So one we're going to talk about today is the opposite of nonviolence. We're going to discuss violence in the movie Mean Girls. So is there anything in particular that stands out to you about the violence in that movie that would be the opposite of nonviolence? Uh, I think especially just kind of as you see the, the plastics, uh, when they're kind of introduced, they're all focused on kind of tearing each other down, tearing people around them down, kind of backstabbing people that they pretend to be nice to, you know, they have the, they have the burn book that they write kind of nasty stuff about everybody in the school. Um, They're just generally not nice to everybody. Perfect. Yeah, that definitely kind of encompasses the whole movie. Um, It really does focus on them, you know, kind of being bullies to everybody, which we know is um, a violent act. Um, They're not really focusing on, um, you know, being, kind to one another and involving people so instead they're you know picking on people and judging them based on their looks and because they're not a plastic so I mean what I love about this is it's a lot of that social nonviolence that I think is a little bit harder and even ethical you know it's it's harder for people to think about those other domains everyone thinks about the physical violence whenever we introduce violence and so this movie I mean everything Andrew hit on is showing those other domains of yeah. violence. Like at the end when they're like, raise your hand if you've ever been like victimized by Regina George and like the entire yeah. gym <laughs> raises their hand. And I think too, like it is like a moral violence or what is it, psychosocial violence because everyone is so afraid of her that they just go against what they believe in to follow her. And a lot of the times you don't think that blindly following someone is like a violent act. And it is not only for you, but for the people around you. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's even that part near the beginning where when Lindsay Lohan first joins the school, she is kind of imagining things in terms of what she knows from Africa. And, you know, everyone's kind of talking and gossiping about each other, but she kind of sees it as like everyone is in this feeding frenzy, as if they're all predators against each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually forgot about that. So that's good. <laughs> I just just kind of made me laugh to picture that again. All right, so next we're going to talk about the opposite of emotional intelligence, which is insensitivity, um, which, again, a lot of the things we touched on could be covered in that whole entire movie. But I think that probably one of the most important scenes that stands out to me is when um, Regina George, like, hands out the burn book and tries to frame Lindsay Lohan's character. What is her name? Katie. Katie. Katie, that's right. (laughs) tries to frame her and like gets the whole school to turn against her because she's mad that she like isn't the head of the plastics anymore so I think that's probably one of the biggest like insensitive areas in the movie but again it does kind of play across the whole movie right right and I think what comes to mind for me is when uh 
Patty, Katie. She, uh, you know, she's previously been friends with kind of, kind of friends with uh, Tina Fey's character. And then like, they kind of see that, you know, she's having her own struggles with her own life. And rather than, you know, kind of continuing to be supportive and friendly with her kind of near the end, she's starting to kind of turn against her and making those own, her own kind of insensitive remarks about her, about her own situation and everything that she's going through. Yeah, and I think that especially working in, in this field that we're in and for people outside that don't necessarily work in like a social work field, you see a lot that people, you know, make judgments on others' lives instead of like looking into their own life and seeing that they might need help too. And that's one big thing that we try to, you know, talk about in Sanctuary is that you can't get help unless you reach out for help and you can't really help yourself if you don't know how to. And so a lot of the times we see people just, you know, judging other people's lives and being insensitive when they have their own issues too, that they need. Right. Okay. So the next one we're going to look at is the opposite of social responsibility, which in the bizarre world is all about me. Um, and obviously we can see from watching that movie that a lot of people want to like blame others and not take responsibility for their actions, especially when it comes to the burn book, everybody wants to point fingers and, you know, not admit that yes, they, they might have their own issues that could be true, but instead of taking responsibility, they're going to, you know, pretend like they didn't do anything. Right, right. And I think that's kind of the, the point of like the big assembly at the end. Tina Fey gives the speech about like how it's kind of a rampant problem at the school. Like everybody's gossiping against each other. Everybody's pointing fingers. Nobody's really being a friend to each other. Everybody is just kind of backstabbing each other all the time. And it's not even just, you know, she says like who here has been victimized by Regina George, who's kind of the center point of it all. But it's kind of rampant among everybody everybody is is doing it to each other kind of spreading out from that one focal group and it is kind of ironic that you bring up that Faye's character does say you know who's being victimized and everybody talks bad about each other when she in the beginning told caddy katie whatever the heck her name is that she um you know that she shouldn't hang out with them because they're plastics and they're fake and they're mean and so she kind of started that in the beginning and didn't even like realize that she was doing that and that's what you see oftentimes is people gossiping and just being mean to one another and they don't realize that they're doing that but they want to blame everyone else when they're doing it right right yeah that's a good point i even thought about that in that movie before yeah all these things make you think when you look at them from this perspective <laughs> Um, okay, so we're going to look now, we're going to um, do the opposite of what we normally do. We're going to look at one commitment that we do feel they demonstrate really well. Um, and that's the commitment to social learning. Um, so what is the definition of that one? I mixed the two up. Of social learning? Yeah. I mean, really, so how we see it, how it's demonstrated in, in the movie is that they are all feeding off of one another. They're learning, they're picking up behaviors from each other watching each other, learning from each other, and taking on those same behaviors, um, rather than, <laughs> right, it's, a, it's still in a negative way, like, maybe you shouldn't be learning those, but they are, um, I mean, they are demonstrating that social, that they're not, um, they're not, like, not open to each other, they are, it's just not <laughs> positive right. things that they're learning. <laughs> Probably until the end, though, when they, again, when they do have the assembly, they kind of all come together and realize what's happening. And I think that's more of like a positive mm -hmm. 
and behavior. the she's breaking up the tiara and giving everyone a piece. Oh, yeah. So they can all be prom queen and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I know you had something really good for that, Andrew. What was it that you had said? Oof. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember now. Uh, sorry, give me a hint what I had said. No, that's okay. <laughs> like we lost our flow in the yeah <laughs> we had a technical difficulty and it kind of threw us for loop. but I mean that's good we definitely see this movie is a good example of most of the bizarro world mm-hmm. I mean they show some of the seven commitments but it's few and far between and even then it seems to be more on the negative side right like so. we had talked about growth and change because I thought oh they do right. grow and change but before you see the growth and change for the positive, you see growth and change like in the other direction. Right. Because she starts off, like we said, as kind of, you know, op- optimistic and, you know, seemingly innocent. Yeah, exactly. And then she kind of morphs into them right. through social learning. But I do think it's important to point out that you can still be practicing the seven commitments, but in a not so positive way. Yeah. Like you said, the growth yeah. and change from the beginning, Katie was growing and changing. It just wasn't necessarily the most beneficial to her. Um, But she, she wasn't, she definitely wasn't in stagnation. She, you know, so I think it's important for everybody to know that even though you may be practicing, it may still not be in the most healthy way. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think too, like, it's, I don't know, you can kind of see Regina George is kind of the one person that's maybe kind of the worst at it. And it kind of, waterfalls cascades from there about how she's kind of being terrible to people and then her closest circle is being terrible to people and then the people that they're terrible to kind of start to be terrible to other people so everybody's kind of learning from this one person so you know it kind of takes katie coming in kind of recognizing what needs to happen and what she needs to do to change and kind of stepping up and taking responsibility for trying to be the change that she wants to see happen around to uh kind of make things turn around Definitely. And I mean, I think not that this is what this segment is about, but talk about an abuse of power. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And even talk about a reenactment in that. All being victims, they're all being persecutors, they're all being, oh my gosh, why did I just lose it? Victim, persecutor, rescuer. rescuer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Katie comes in, she tries to be the rescuer, but then she's persecuting everyone and then she's being the victim when she gets in trouble. And it really is just kind of showing that cycle of how everyone plays every single role. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that's all we have for this segment. Thank you, Andrew, for coming on and joining us. We appreciate your your feedback and your insights. Sorry for the technical. For having me. This was fun. <laughs> you go, Glen Coco. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we definitely would like to have you on in the future for some other things to discuss. All right. Great. All right. Thanks. All right. Parallels of Emotions. Hello and welcome to our new segment, Parallels of Emotions, which is all about the parallel process. Our systems are all interconnected and interactive. Parallel process has been defined as what happens when two or more systems, whether these consist of individuals, groups, or organizations, have significant relationships with one another. They tend to develop similar affects, cognition, and behaviors, which are defined as parallel processes. Parallel processes can be set in motion in many ways. And once initiated, no one can 
feel immune from their influence. Some examples of those are when the clients feel hyper-aroused, the staff can feel hyper-aroused, which can lead to the organization being crisis-driven. When clients feel depressed, the staff can often feel demoralized, which can then bring directionlessness to the organization. With us today is Courtney. Uh, good morning, Courtney. Good morning. Uh, Courtney's going to share with us um, an example of her experience in the parallel process. Yeah. So my example um, is a personal related one. I have a three-year-old nephew named Jackson. Jackson. Yep. Um, who is pretty obsessed with his auntie. Um, I live with my sister and her husband. I have taken care of my nephew since he was um, two days old. Oh. So I have pretty much watched him grow um and i noticed the other day i came home from work and i was just i was just feeling really emotional because i had a couple people here that had left Mm -hmm. um that were just kind of treating me poorly um in the process of them leaving and it really like tugged on my emotions and so i went home and i was in a really bad mood and i was just like really sensitive and totally understandable um my nephew every day when i get home his his thing is he runs him and he's like, Auntie, I missed you. I missed you so much. As we do here at work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I was just kind of in a bad mood and I kind of like pushed him off and I was like, you know, leave me alone. Like, I don't really want to talk right now. Like, I'm in a bad mood. And I went to my room and, you know, I, I kind of decompressed when I get home. I set all my stuff down. I kind of make a list of things I still have to do, get ready to cook dinner. And he followed me in and I like shut him out of the room. And <laughs> oh, okay. so then you can kind of imagine how that goes. Oh, he's yeah. a three-year-old. Oh, yeah. um, he starts like kicking the door and he's like crying. Um, and he said, I hate you. I hate you. Why? <laughs> yeah. Why? Yep, exactly. And I think it's because he had felt like my emotion of just like anger and sadness. And oh. when I, yeah. So when I'm in a bad mood, it, it transfers to him. And then he tells me that he hates me. And, you know, it's a kid. And, you know, I tell him, I'm like, I'm sorry, you know, baby, I love you. Like, I'm sorry. And he's like, it's okay, auntie. I know you're sad. I love you, too. <laughs> so, yeah. That's really interesting. So you came in with a, a certain mood. Mm-hmm. Uh, your nephew felt your mood and then took on the mood that yep. you were experiencing? Yep. Wow. And what do you think you, you could have done or should have done or maybe we'll plan to do in the future when coming home to Jackson? Definitely, like, leaving work at work. Not that I, like, need to leave my work that I need to get done at work, but Mm -hmm. leaving that, like, anger and emotion there because it's not his fault that I'm feeling that way. And he's an innocent little kid that all he does is, like, love. And that should be the one thing I can go home to that makes me feel better. That is great. That is great. So you took parallel process and turned it into a positive environment Mm -hmm. where... I, I can see you getting emotional about this, and that's really nice. I'm a little emotional about this, too. Um, where you could take a, a process and turn it into something beautiful and, and, and teachable. Yeah. And Jackson and it, is taught now by you. Yes, and especially for a three-year-old who, like, really knows nothing, and they're just coming into learning their emotions. Like, we have to remember that we teach them how to act and, like, when it's okay to be upset and when it's okay to cry and be mean to someone. I don't want him to think that... Because he's had a bad day, he can come home and be mean. So. Did you say you were his aunt? Yeah. yeah that, that, that sounds like a good mom talking right there. That is amazing. I'm Charles Grego here with Courtney. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to podcast number four of It's Not What's Wrong mm-hmm. With You. Uh, we hope you enjoyed and learned a little bit about vicarious trauma and self-care. Bye.